Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Columbus City Council President Shannon Harden just spent a few days in Kansas City with members of the National League of Cities. I had a chance to talk to him while he was there. That's coming up in a moment. Kimberly Schwind with AAA Ohio has some information about Thanksgiving travel. In about 20 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend follows up on election results with comments from some of the winners of statewide races, the impact of Ohio's two statewide issues passing, and local school leaders react to voting results on their local levies. And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with Ken Clouda from the State Fire Marshal's Office about prevention of home fires. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Shannon Harden. He is uh, the Columbus City Council president. He's at the National League of Cities Summit in Kansas City. How are you doing? Dave, uh, it's great to join you. Uh, We're an hour behind you out here in Kansas, and it's chilly here, but I hear it's chilly back at home in Columbus. But we are, uh, it's always great to gather with an organization that serves 19,000 elected uh, local officials around the country. Uh, There's a lot of learning going on. It's a good thing you didn't hold it in Buffalo. That's all I can say. <laughs> Everybody feels like it's Buffalo here, though. It's chilly, 17 degrees right now. Wow, yeah. So this summit, what's going on there? What are you uh, folks uh, trying to accomplish? Certainly. So this is our annual convening where we bring all of those elected officials from around the country, these municipal leaders who have been on the front lines of everything from a pandemic for the last two years to conversations around racial justice to now conversations around how do we keep our communities safe uh, and tackle the big issues of housing um, in uh, in our communities. Uh, this is where we come together to learn from one another, to hear from experts, to um, uh, learn best practices, to say, hey, this worked here in Columbus, but maybe it didn't work there, uh, and, uh, and grow. Uh, this is where we um, get the technical skills to make sure that as we all have received historic levels of uh, federal support through the ARPA and through the uh, bipartisan infrastructure legislation, uh, that we can uh, execute those dollars in a uh, prudent way that moves forward on our goals of um, of, uh, of supporting our residents and building out the infrastructure for, uh, for the next generation. This is where we come to learn and have the support from uh, staff and experts from around the country. So, um, like I said, it's been uh, jam-packed. We still have two more days left, uh, and uh, it's been a really um, uh, strong convening so far. Well, I see there's something like 40 workshops and breakouts. When you go to this uh, annual event, what are the, say, the top three issues in Columbus that you want to try to address while you're there? It's, uh, that, that's easy. It's housing, uh, it's workforce, and it's safety. And, and NLC has been a, a leader in every one of those places. Um, uh, most of the sessions uh, that I've been a part of, and certainly hearing from uh, staff or other council members from Columbus or around the country, the conversation around affordable housing is critical to uh, all of our cities right now. Uh, and the sessions that we've had, uh, for instance, um, educating us on tiny home strategies that communities are using all across the country have been very substantive and have given uh, a lot of our cities who, like Columbus, we don't have tiny homes. So um, being able to, to pick the brain of folks who do that work, being able to hear from uh, other colleagues and council members from around the country that do have those types of um, um, supports for uh, their own house has been uh, very, very helpful. And then the conversations around public safety are, are critical. They're real. Um, we are all, that, that's the, make the, the real thing, Dave. 
is around safety, uh, and we're all trying to figure it out together. Is there a group of cities, leaders who kind of hang together, who you keep an eye on, who have very similar issues and are just like Columbus? Well, and that's where NLC does very well. They make sure that you are learning from your actual peer. And so for me specifically, um, there is a, I'm a part of the large city council presidents group, which is the largest, 20 largest cities in the country and their council presidents. And so there, there is something different from being a mayor than a council president. And there's something different about being a council president than a, a, a state or council member. And there's different uh, differences of being a large city council president than a small city council president. And being able to have uh, those breakouts to be able to convene with the other large city council presidents. I mean, that's really where we got into the real housing issues because I was able to talk to Austin's council president. I was able to talk to San Francisco's council president, and and, and their message to me was, um, you have you think you have a, a homelessness issue now? If you don't lean into it, if you don't put all the resources that you can towards it, it will get like ours, um, which is much harder to solve. And that was uh, something that, that really stuck out to me. But it came from me being able to specifically meet with my peers of large city council presidents. And, and we um, gather here at NOC in those different groups. So I also am a part of large city councils. Um, and uh, and so, so, so it really does help you actually get Apple to Apple support. Talking with Shannon Harden, Columbus City Council President. He's at the National League of Cities Summit in Kansas City. You mentioned safety and one of the, the major factors involved in that is youth violence that's going on. And I, I'm interested in, in knowing, do you see that more as a policing effort, getting youth more involved in activities that keep them out of trouble? Or is it a mental health issue? What is the top priority there? I think there? it's an all of the above issue. I think that we have to make sure that we're investing in um, uh, a high quality police department that has the resources and the people that they need to keep communities safe and to you know lean into crime prevention but it also is a it's a strategy or a necessity that we uh, put funding towards organizations that work with young people that give them alternatives to make sure that uh, if they're going down the wrong path that we can divert them back into more appealing uh, interest in, in jobs I mean it's why we created the Columbus Promise program to make sure that you know kids going through Columbus City Schools no matter uh, with their GPA or whatever, if they graduate from Columbus City Schools, they will be able to go to college for free. Is that really what that is? Is a hook? It's a promise. It's a it's a extension of hope to say, you know, there's all these other things out there. There's all these other pathways that you can take. But if you stay on this straight and narrow path, there is going to be um, a good life for you after high school. There is going to be education credentials and that that job at um, at West Campus or that job at Intel if you just stay on the path. And, and so it's those type of investments that we've talked a lot about. So, yes, it's a, uh, it's a strong safety conversation. It's a reimagining safety conversation around alternative crisis uh, response, making sure that folks get the right uh, care and right uh, uh, support when they call 911. But it's also about giving access and opportunity to folks who have, um, who, uh, have veered off the wrong path. The pandemic relief funding, uh, is there a lot of that left? Does it create problems going forward with maybe one-time spending that won't be there in the future? What's the status on all that? You know, that's why uh, we work with the mayor. I co-chaired with uh, Commissioner O'Grady, the Recovery and Resiliency uh, Committee, that allowed us to be strategic about how we will uh, execute those dollars. 
one thing that we are very grateful for with uh, the ARPA dollars is that we have a little bit of a long, uh, a longer runway so that we can make those strategic investments uh, over this year, next year, and the, and the following year so that we can lean into fixing the digital divide that we saw uh, during the pandemic where we had uh, mothers taking their kids to McDonald's in our city so they can get on Wi-Fi to go to school. We can make strategic investments that um, – not just get us through this current pandemic, but will harden us and make us uh, more resilient um, as we go through whatever um, the next uh, years to come for our, our community. Council President uh, Shannon Harden, anything else you'd like to add? We're just really grateful. Um, I, I am always uh, buoyed when I'm around other elected officials. The one thing that I would say, Dave, is that it is harder, and I don't get a chance to do this uh, in, at home because we're so grateful as individual elected officials. But it is it is hard to be an elected official. It is difficult to be a local elected official because of the proximity to the people and the pain that folks are feeling. Um, and truthfully, um, with folks seeing all the dysfunction on the state level and all the dis- dysfunction on the federal level, it li- literally is this local elected officials who are on the ground, who are working and serving and delivering for the people of our communities. And so it is an honor uh, to serve as a local elected official. I would never uh, run for any other office other than local elected official because I believe this is where the rubber hits the road. Um, this is where we get results. And, and it's that proximity to the people that keeps us honest, that keeps us delivering, um, that keeps us nonpartisan and focused on the issues that uh, that are important to our residents. So I'm just so grateful. That's my last message. Okay, and, and if I have just a second, I'd like to ask you one more thing, because I see one of the topics is political incivility, which I find really interesting. That maybe is often not as big of a problem on a city level as it might be at the state or certainly in Congress, but any thoughts on that? You know, we don't have political incivility, but what we do have is a changing tenor in how folks perceive elected officials in general. And so I have noticed, I've been in elective office now for uh, nearly eight years, and it is different when I got in. This is a different job than it was uh, eight years ago. Um, The threats are real. The the physical safety threats to local elected officials are real. The, um, uh, The way that the public engages, and sometimes the way that elected official to elected official engage with each it is changing. And so um, this conversation around decorum and how we um, how we can disagree without being disagreeable is also uh, something that we have to be serious and thoughtful about, even in Columbus, where we do do this better than most communities and certainly better than the state and federal. But we can't um, take our eye off this. It's, it's extremely important to democracy that, um, that we respect each other, that we have a thorough debate, um, that we trust that the folks that are uh, elected by our peers are there for us. And if they're not, then we vote them out and we keep going. But that there is not the personal animus um, that is uh, becoming more of a mainstay or, or a um, accepted uh, part of, um, of our, our elected process. we we, we got to get back to the values of democracy and uh, working together to move our communities forward. Interesting stuff. Uh, Columbus City Council President Shannon Harden, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Dave. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Kimberly Schwind. She is the Director of Public Affairs for AAA Ohio Auto Club. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we talk to you uh, every year at Thanksgiving, for sure, sometimes, too, around the 4th of July and Labor Day. And looks like it's going to be a busy Thanksgiving season on the roads. 
a lot of people are going to be hitting the roads and in the airports. We're seeing a lot of people that maybe weren't comfortable driving over the last couple of years because of the pandemic heading back to the airports, to buses, to trains. So we're really going to see people traveling in all modes of transportation. It's going to be busy no matter how you're traveling this holiday. Yeah, you have in bold print uh, one of the headlines of your paragraphs says record number of Ohioans will fly this holiday. Been a long time since I've seen that. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, So crazy that we are going to see a record number of Ohioans flying. And nationally, air travel numbers are pretty close to pre-pandemic levels. But here in Ohio, we really just are seeing a lot of people heading to the airport and flying to their destination this holiday. So we're looking at an increase of 9.1% in air travel from last Thanksgiving, uh, far exceeding pre-pandemic levels. And like I said, it is a record for Ohio. But nationally, we are seeing those air travel projections 22% higher than the 10-year pandemic pre-pandemic average. So um, definitely going to be busy in the airport. So keep that in mind. If you are going to be flying, you want to make sure that you're getting to the airport two hours before your flight, Uh, You know, give yourself plenty of time to get through the security checkpoint. Check your flight status before you get to the airport. Uh, You know, we've had a lot of issues with delayed flights, canceled flights, lost baggage. So um, if if you can pack a carry-on, that's going to help um, give you some more flexibility if your flights are delayed or if you need to reschedule. um, And then also help kind of avoid that, that risk of getting your bag lost. Following the worst of the pandemic, it seems like it was around this time last year that the airlines really got bogged down and it carried over into the spring. How are they doing now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're still seeing capacity a little bit below where it was pre-pandemic, but it seems like things have been moving a little bit more smoothly um, in recent months. So hopefully that continues as we get into the the holidays. This will probably really be a good test for them because this is going to be, you know, ramping way up from since probably what Labor Day or the 4th of July that they've been this busy. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, because after the busy summer travel season, it really winds down and and we see a lot less travel, um, you know, through the fall. So, yes, you know, the most that we've seen since um, since this summer, for sure. Talking with Kimberly Swind from AAA Ohio. uh, What about the road traveling? How is that doing this year? You know, we talk about the the air travel being a record for Ohio, but still, when you take a look at how people are traveling, 87% of Ohioans are going to be driving. So, yes, it's going to be busy on the roadways as well. So, you know, even though we're seeing a very slight downtick in the number of people um, driving this holiday compared to last holiday, you know, you keep in mind, even those people that are flying, they still have to drive to the airport, right? So, um, so we're going to still see a lot of traffic on the roadways. Um, so expect that, especially during those peak times, you know, the, the day before Thanksgiving, that Wednesday afternoon and evening, always, uh, you know, the peak time for travel. So if you are planning on traveling, especially during the peak times, make sure that you pack your patience, as we say every year, just give yourself plenty of extra time. Understand it's going to take a little bit longer. And when you give these numbers, 2.2 million Ohioans, you're talking about 50 miles or more. Do you still use that as the standard? Yes. So we're looking at um, Ohioans or Americans when we look at the whole country, but we're looking at people that are traveling 50 miles or more from home between November 23rd and November 27th. So we understand that some people, you know, may extend that period of time. So we're looking at 
you know, a lot of people leave early or maybe they stay later after Thanksgiving, but we're really just looking at that Wednesday through Sunday, that peak travel time for Thanksgiving travel, 50 miles or more from home. I guess most people are going to see family somewhere, but do some people turn it into vacations where they all meet somewhere or, you know, are there getaways that are still popular around this time? Yeah, you know, there are. And when we take a look at the the other modes of transportation, I think that that tells the story. We're seeing more people traveling by bus, train, and cruise ship, right? So we do see people maybe taking a cruise over Thanksgiving with family. Um, And certainly cruise travel is back um, in a big way. And yeah, we see people taking those big trips, maybe, you know, instead of uh, meeting at somebody's house for Thanksgiving, they, they meet at a destination um, and they, they take advantage of those extra days off work and off school um, to, to make a vacation out of it. So we do see that. We see, you know, primarily people spending time with friends and family, but uh, not always at a home, again, sometimes at a destination. Any lingering pandemic problems? Um, you know, things are open. Travel's open. Um, you know, I think that capacity um, would be kind of the, the lingering problem that we're seeing in, in some areas. The capacity hasn't quite bounced back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, things are costing a little bit more, um, some cases a lot more than, than pre-pandemic. So you will notice that, that travel is going to be more expensive. Um, but, you know, again, you know, when we're talking about Thanksgiving, a lot of people are just driving. They're staying at friends and family's houses. Certainly some people taking those bigger vacations. But, um, you know, Thanksgiving is unique in that it really is centered around that meal and the friends and family. So uh, luckily people are able to get together again, and I think people are really taking advantage of that. And what about gas prices? Are those up from previous years? Yeah. So, you know, gas prices certainly much higher. Um, we saw actually the, the highest October gas price average on record. Uh, luckily, down from those, you know, record highs that we saw earlier this year, above $5 a gallon. So gas prices have dropped down into that kind of mid $3 a gallon range. Um, you know, last year in Ohio, we were in the you know, around 325 a gallon, so we were a little bit lower than we are now. So gas price is still certainly high, but not high enough to, to keep people from traveling. Talking with Kimberly Schwind, she's uh, Director of Public Affairs for AAA Ohio Auto Club. Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, you know, just if you are going to be one of those people taking that road trip when you're packing up the family and the food and everything, just make sure that you check your car first. Um, check those tires. Check the fluid levels. Uh, make sure you have a spare set of keys. Nobody wants to have their holiday ruined by a breakdown, and AAA expects to respond to more than 400,000 calls for emergency roadside assistance over the five-day holiday period nationwide. And so you certainly don't want to be one of those people stuck on the, the road when you're trying to get to your destination. So just make sure that your car is ready for the road trip. And along that line, it's uh, interesting. We're getting our first cold shot of uh, weather uh, this week. And I know that when that happens, you guys just get swamped with towing calls, don't you? Yeah, you know, that's right. Um, The cold weather really hits cars hard, So especially the batteries. We see a lot of dead batteries when it gets cold outside. Um, and so, you know, we definitely expect to see that. Luckily, the weather looks like it's going to be warming up a little bit. So that should certainly help. Um, but we still see a lot of people, you know, with dead batteries, locking their keys in their car, flat tires. Um, so just 
just make sure that your car is is ready and check those headlights as well because as we get into the, you know these dark months we're doing a lot more driving in the dark and, and really need to have that visibility on the roads to keep you safe and having the battery tested that really is a big deal because these days those things die without much warning at all you just all of a sudden <laughs> one day you get up in the morning and it just doesn't start that's exactly true. Or you come out of the store and your car doesn't start. Um, but yeah, so batteries often fail without warning. Uh, but so if your battery is three years old or older, we recommend you get it checked at least every six months. Uh, that's because batteries really only last three to five years. And so if your battery is older than that, then you're on borrowed time, right? So good idea to get it checked. You can maybe see that it's failing ahead of time, get it replaced. Then you don't end up getting out to your car and finding that it won't start. And there's a lot of them that probably have an odd history anyway, because they sat longer in garages or outside not being run during the pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. We did see a lot of that and a lot of batteries failing because they were they were just sitting. You need to drive your car and you need to drive it, you know, not just down the street and back um, in order to, to charge that battery. And so we did definitely see a lot of that. Traffic seems to be back up pretty close to, to where we were before the pandemic. Certainly a lot of people still working from home, but, um, you know, that's that's not as much of a problem now as batter, as it was a couple of years ago, um, but still certainly something that we have to keep in mind is that, you know, batteries have gone through that over the last couple of years. Kimberly Schwinn with AAA Ohio. Any websites for folks to check out? Uh, yeah, you know, you can always visit AAA.com and AAA.com slash travel if, if you need to talk with a travel agent or, or get some tips for, for your holiday trip. Okay. Kimberly, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend. From her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. never forget where I came from, and I will never forget the great people of Ohio. I have the privilege to concede this race to J.D. Vance. I'm not going to stand here and sugarcoat things. I'm disappointed. We have work to do. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to lead you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that work. The people of Ohio have spoken loud and clear. With this campaign behind us, I promise I will live in the present. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. The election is over, and now we are hearing from the newly elected and re-elected leaders of Ohio. Let's start with the biggest race in the state, a race watched closely by the entire nation for a seat in the U.S. Senate. Political newcomer J.D. Vance beat Democrat Tim Ryan. 10TV's Kevin Landers asked Vance two days after his win if he plans to work with Democrats in the Senate. 
plan to work with anybody uh, with whom I can get things done. And I think certainly on things like trade policy, on bringing manufacturing jobs back to Ohio, Sherrod could be a good ally. On energy policy, hopefully Joe Manchin will be a good ally. So certainly, look, the way I think about it is the people of Ohio sent me to the United States Senate to do a job, and I plan to do it, and I'll work with whoever I have to to get that done. I bring a different perspective, having you know grown up in the business world, having achieved something in the private sector. Uh, so I think it's actually an asset to send people to Washington with a fresh perspective. Uh, I'll have to learn a lot on the fly, but I've been pretty good at doing that. And, and, and again, the goal here is to get things done. Uh, and I think wherever you are, you need to be the kind of person that gets things done. And that's certainly what I what I plan to be. I don't worry about one party rule right now because that's not what we have. However, the Senate ultimately shakes out. We have a divided government. We have a Republican House, a Republican Speaker, a Democratic President. And whether you have 51 Republicans or 51 Democrats or, or 50, uh, we have divided government in this country. And so for us to solve problems, we're going to have to find a way to work around that. Here was Vance's response when asked what his first priority will be once he's in office. We do have a terrible border problem. The fentanyl is going to kill a lot of people unless we stop it. It's already killed a lot of people, and I think that we have to stop it as much as we can. Uh, and then, you know, really we have to get the prices under control. The inflation seems to have come down a little bit. Uh, it's still way too high. It's still at historic highs. And I think a big part of that is actually opening up our energy, our refining uh, markets, and our pipelines to bring down the cost of gas, the cost of utilities, and the cost consequently of everything else. J.D. Vance was considered a MAGA candidate who had the support of the former president. But what will that mean once he takes office? 10TV's Brittany Bailey looks to answer that question. Ohio's next United States Senator, J.D. Vance! It was the cap of what amounted to a sweep for the top Ohio candidates on the Republican ticket in the midterms. We've had a good night in the Ohio Republican Party, haven't we? Wow. J.D. Vance is set to become Ohio's next senator, filling Rob Portman's seat. And he had a message of unity, promising to work for all Ohioans. What we need to do over the next couple of years, over the next six years, for the full, the full length of this Senate term, whoever's in the majority, whatever the president looks like, we have to, a very simple job to do. It's to go to work every single day and fight for the people of Ohio. But this speech felt like a bit of a departure, more subdued and without many of the talking points made popular by former President Donald Trump. So does that mean he will be a different senator than he was a candidate? We asked a local Republican consultant. When you go to the Senate and you represent a very diverse and big state like Ohio, you've got to shift and understand the middle. And again, what a candidate has to do in a primary Democrat or Republican is different than what you do in the general and when you're in office. And he's clearly got six years, so he's got time to prove himself and that he'll represent and work hard for the state of Ohio. And while the red wave splashed through Ohio and a few other states, it wasn't the washout some had predicted across the country. Notably, while Vance thanked Governor DeWine and others in his victory speech, there was no mention of the former president. Do you think that the results from this election so far have proven that that maybe President Trump is losing a bit of his luster when it comes to his support for candidates? The people that don't like him will argue that, but again, it's going to depend on who's going to be the Democrat, because if it's Biden, you get one answer. If it's the California governor, it might be a different matchup and a different result. So we've got uh, a long way to go, as they sometimes say on television, to be continued. And as Terry Casey went on to say that this was a big win for J.D. Vance because he's a political newcomer with no prior experience in office. 
In the race for Ohio governor, Mike DeWine won over Democrat challenger Nan Whaley. The race was called not long after the polls closed. 10TV's Kevin Landers talked with DeWine one-on-one after his win. You have been criticized um, heavily by the, the dispatch, by your own party, on your stance on abortion and your what they believe is your willingness to go to the far right of your party when in terms of gun legislation. How do you tell voters of Ohio that you're going to be a governor who's going to listen to them about abortion and about gun violence because it, those are two issues that really played a large a large role in this election. You know, gun violence, we have a bill uh, pending in front of the legislature that will make a huge difference. They'll go after the repeat violent offenders who have guns or aren't supposed to have guns. I mean, these are the people who are, are killing our 7-year-olds and our 10-year-olds in our, in our neighborhoods. So we, ha- we have bills that will do that. I'm urging again the legislature to, you know, to pass that. As far as abortion, uh, the legislature is going to take this up. You know, uh, once Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, it goes back to the states. Every state's going through a debate. And what I've said uh, is, look, I'm pro-life. I want to save as many lives as I can. But the legislature also needs to understand that this is a state uh, where we have referendums. And so ultimately the people get to decide and can decide. So they need to pass a bill uh, that really can be sustained uh, over over the long run. Do you ever and see a time in your administration where you would have an exception for an abortion? Look, I, th- I think we need to let this work out through the legislative process. But again, basic principles. It needs to be clear. It needs to be able to inform people what their rights are, what they can do, what they can't do, particularly in the medical community. Uh, n- number two, in saving the life of the mother, or even in- well, let me just finish the, the, the broad parameters, and, and we'll, we'll get to these in, in time. But broad parameter needs to be clear. Uh, second, it needs to be something that can be sustained by the people. I mean, you can't. The legislature has to understand that we can't pass something that just can't be sustained. But those are things I've set. This is nothing new. I'm telling you today, and I think this is how we need to approach the debate. In the race for Ohio Secretary of State, incumbent Frank LaRose was reelected. He beat his challenger, Chelsea Clark, by more than 20 percent. In his victory speech, he talked about the importance of election security. We believe that we should remove deceased voters from the voter rolls, and we believe that we should make sure that only citizens vote in our elections, and we believe that Ohio, Ohioans should have honest elections, and that's exactly what we deliver. And in the race for Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy came out on top. And my promise to every Ohioan is that we will begin every endeavor and every initiative working from one question. Will it be better for the people that we serve? To those families, community leaders, and people who have shared concerns that access to their courts and the ability to have a timely hearing has been denied, I have heard you, and I agree with you. In the words of the British Prime Minister Gladstone, justice delayed is justice denied. Kennedy went on to promise to bring more transparency to the way the court operates. She also said she would establish a task force to work on society reentry help for people who served their time in prison and mentor programs for at-risk children. Justice Pat DeWine, who's Governor Mike DeWine's son, was reelected to his seat. I'm confident that 
because of what the voters have done today, we're going to have an Ohio Supreme Court that does exactly what it's supposed to. That is, protects the rule of law, applies the laws as written, doesn't, le doesn't legislate from the bench, and by applying the laws as written, makes sure that everyone gets treated the same and fairly under the law. Justice Pat Fisher was also reelected over Democrat Terry Jamison. Now, you just heard from several Republicans who all won on Tuesday. Election results assured the Republican Party will continue to rule the Ohio State House. Ours is among 37 states where one party runs everything. Republicans control 23 states, while Democrats control 14. As Kevin Landers explains, a one-party rule is a growing trend in states. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to lead you. Thank you for giving me... Tuesday's election guaranteed Republican control of the state house again. But did democracy suffer as a result? And what we have in Ohio is really, you know, more of an echo chamber in which, you know, Republicans have had power, they've drawn maps to help keep that power, and they've pretty well done what they want. One party rule is great for the ruling party, but others see a lack of balance as a danger. No elected official at this point um, is really accountable to what it is that the voters actually want and uh, are demanding, and that is very frightening. Ohio is one of several states with one party in control, and it's a growing trend. I am extremely concerned that there is no longer a checks and balances in this state. 17 states had divided governments in 2018. That dropped to 13 in 2020 and is now down to 12, according to the National Conference of State Legislators. Gerrymandering plays a role in this. You know, when one side gets the ability to draw the maps, they have an, an excellent chance of being able to sort of perpetuate their power. Controversy over Ohio's redistricting maps played a significant role in creating divided government. The topic is not lost on newly elected Republican Senator J.D. Vance. Uh, we have divided government in this country, and so for us to solve problems, we're going to have to find a way to work around that. But is there enough incentive for those in power to reach across the aisle when one party controls the agenda? 90% of Ohioans support universal background checks. That's the highest polling issue I've ever seen in Ohio, 90%. And they get policies that go in the absolute opposite direction. And this, are, we in, are we creating a system where I don't have to listen to you? Well, the short answer is yes. You know, for Democrats in the Ohio legislature, their numbers are so small and the procedures of the Ohio late legislature are such that they're functionally irrelevant. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. And Vance tells 10TV he plans to work with Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown on issues like trade policy and bringing manufacturing jobs back to the Buckeye State. Brown sent a statement saying he looks forward to working with everyone who won. Our coverage of the midterm results continues right after the break. The argument behind the newly passed issue one that concerns public safety. New buildings, renovations and more resources are in store for several school districts after a successful election night victory. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin River 
Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com, and thanks for listening. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The two statewide issues on the ballot passed. We're talking about issue one and two. One focused on how changing cash bail is set. Although the majority voted yes, there was some opposition. Here's 10TV's Kiana Deitches. We're pleased that we have another tool in the toolkit. Janet Grubb is a former judge who set bond amounts for 18 years. During that period of time, Safety of the community was always uh, an element that um, was unspoken, but was part of the stew. But in January, the Ohio Supreme Court blocked a court from setting excessive bail, saying it's unconstitutional when the amount is higher than necessary to make sure the accused person will return to court. That created uh, a lot of issues for us because when a judge looks at what bail bond to set in a very serious matter, it's almost impossible not to uh, take that extra step. She says the amendment will keep dangerous criminals off the street. We have a lot of people that are reoffending, uh, committing um, serious offenses one after the other, many times while out on a bond. But people like Patrick Higgins with the ACLU say that isn't true. We think it's bad policy. Uh, we think that our state already uh, has an over-reliance on cash bail uh, that doesn't keep our public safe, um, hasn't in the past, and won't in the future. Courts are now required to consider a person's criminal record, public safety, and the likelihood the defendant will return to court when setting bail. Higgins says it'll unfairly impact people of color. We don't think wealth is a determining factor when it comes to things like morality, when it comes to a person's danger to their community. It's disappointing to think about the people who are still going to be sitting in jail cells in Ohio um, because of the amount of money in their wallet. The ACLU says Ohio still needs bail reform. They plan to fight against issue one with a House bill and a Senate bill, which would both set cash bail based on a person's income. Issue two passed with a strong majority as well. That measure ensures that only U.S. citizens who have been a legal resident and registered voter for at least 30 days can vote in Ohio elections. It also makes it so that 17-year-olds who will be 18 on Election Day cannot vote in primary elections. When it comes to school levies, a majority of them passed. These levies will ensure that some districts can build new schools, avoid virtual learning, and provide more resources for teachers. 10TV's Ashley Bornanson spoke with several of those districts to find out what changes voters can expect. We just wanted to support the schools, uh, whatever they need. Worthington parent Scott Teresi says his family moved to Worthington to raise their kids in the school district. As a child to two teachers himself, he says he's happy the levies passed. Where I grew up, it was it was a struggle a lot of times in a small town to, to pass those levies. Worthington schools passed their bond issue and operating levy with a 61% majority. The money will allow the district to rebuild Thomas Worthington High School. 
Meanwhile, in New Albany Plain, residents say they are thrilled. It was amazing. It was truly amazing. The majority of residents voted for the renewal levy, issue four, to maintain and replace school infrastructure with 25-year-old buildings. Everyone knows that the teachers work hard and they need the little extra help. We're all about trying to provide the best academic and developmental outcomes. And part of that is making sure we've got great campus facilities for our students every day. This includes funds for building repairs, technology, security upgrades, school bus repairs, and heating and cooling. District taxpayers will see a net tax decrease starting in 2023. In Pickerington, advocates for school bonds, vote for pick kids, are jumping for joy as the $89.9 million bond will help tackle overcrowding in schools by building a new junior high and adding classrooms to both North and Central high schools. They're just packed, way overpacked. We've had to take lockers out of hall rooms. We're having uh, teachers have to hold classrooms in gymnasiums and in teacher break rooms. The city will not have to raise the local school tax rate and taxpayers will actually see a decrease of half a million dollars. When it comes to our community, when you look at crime, poverty, homelessness, substance abuse, education is the silver bullet. And we need strong schools to create a strong community and society. And for us in Pickerington, this is the right time with the right place and the right plan. And that was Ashley Bornanson reporting. The Franklin Township police levy passed by 151 votes. This means the township can now have a full-time police department. But with several failed levies in the past, officers have left the department fearing layoffs. 10TV's Lacey Crisp explains how the township plans to rebuild. Now that the levy has passed, Franklin Township has the tough job of trying to hire officers who've already left. It's been tough because of the... Is it really going to pass this time? It's fourth time's the charm for Franklin Township trying to pass a levy to continue to fund its police department. Without the levy, the department would have to eliminate all but four officers, operate during business hours, and rely on the Franklin County Sheriff's Office for police protection. The passage of the levy was the first step. Without it, there was no going forward. But now we have to begin the process of trying to recruit or bring back officers if we can. Fearing another failed levy, several officers took jobs in other departments. Including the chief, there are currently eight officers on the department. They are now looking to get back to full staff and have 12 to 13 full-time officers with the addition of six part-timers. Because every department in Franklin County is hiring and most of them are doing lateral transfers. So we're in competition with every other department. So... It is going to be a, a very hard road to hoe. Chief Byron Smith says it's a challenge he yeah. accepts to serve the township residents. They're going to have protection now, so we will be able to provide 24-7 protection. And with this levy being permanent, the township won't have to go back to voters. In Franklin Township, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. In an executive session, trustees passed a resolution to bring back three officers effective immediately. The mayor of Columbus released his plan for 2023, which includes the largest budget in the history of the capital city. Uh, Columbus is once again ready and poised to make unprecedented investments 
in our neighborhoods. Mayor Ginther says the total amount comes to $1.1 billion. The mayor still has to present this budget to the city council for approval and public hearings. It won't be finalized until the beginning of 2023. Since Governor Mike DeWine took office, there have been no executions in the state of Ohio. After his re-election, WCPO asked him if he will eliminate the death penalty. Drug companies have made it very clear if we use their drugs for injection, lethal injection, that that may risk uh, state hospitals getting any kind of drugs at all from that same company. So we are clearly at a standstill, and I don't see anything that changes that in the immediate future. DeWine issued a reprieve for three death row inmates pushing back their execution dates until 2026. We certainly thank you for joining us here on Face the State today, and we wish you a terrific and safe week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy again to tell you what you can see this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Coming up on Face the State, the lame duck session is underway at the State House. We'll highlight several of the bills lawmakers are fighting to push through before the end of the year, including one that makes rules for children looking to get gender-affirming medicine. Plus, another round of swatting calls at several Ohio schools this week. What changes lawmakers are hoping to make to stop this from happening again? Join us this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Coming up in a moment, I'll talk with someone from the state fire marshal's office on Columbus Perspective. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. If you turn 65 this year, you are eligible for Medicare. To help you understand your choices and possibility of financial assistance, the Ohio Department of Insurance is holding Welcome to Medicare events across the state. So join us at a free event near you. Make sure your plan suits your budget and your needs. For more information, contact the Ohio Department of Insurance at 1-800-686-1578 or go online at insurance.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Ken Clauda, who is the Fire Prevention Bureau Chief for the Division of State Fire Marshal. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us uh, in a nutshell about the State Fire Marshal's Office. What is it and what you do? So the State Fire Marshal's Office is a part of the Ohio Department of Commerce. And overall, the Ohio Department of Commerce is the chief regulatory agency for all of the state of Ohio. So we fall within that role, and part of the things we do is to make sure in my bureau, specifically in prevention, to, to educate people on how to be as safe as they can and do the best fire and life safety practices uh, that they can do at any given time. And I guess, obviously, as we get into the colder months, home fires, uh, this this becomes sort of the prime season for them. Yes, this is uh, usually when we see an, an increase in home fires uh, across the nation. Uh, smoking 
fatalities. That is our number one known cause of fire fatalities is smoking, followed by uh, cooking and, and uh, heating and electrical type issues. Smoking while on oxygen, as a matter of fact, is something that is very high on our list of uh, fatalities, which is very sad. Um, that is uh, something that can be easily preventable, and it's something that uh, we're hoping to keep getting the message out there that people should not be smoking while they're using oxygen. And then as the holidays uh, come around, that presents new challenges and new threats, I guess, right? Yes, it does. Um, so with the holiday season, uh, Thanksgiving alone, we have about 1,400 home cooking fires across the United States every, every year, um, which is more than three times the average that we have in any given day across the, the United States. You know, you've got situations where there might be grease fires or, uh, you know, just about every house has an oven running full blast for hours on that day. What are some of the things that can happen? So what we want to make sure is that, that you're, you're taking care of the idea of not leaving any of your cooking unattended. Always stay with your cooking. Set a timer as a reminder for the food that you're prepping. If you don't have a, a timer set and you wind up uh, having something else cooking and you're paying attention to that, you could see a, a fire happen um, or at least a, a huge amount of smoke, right? Uh, so we make sure that whatever you're cooking, you're cooking for the time it's supposed to, at the temperature it's supposed to, and you're setting a timer to remind yourself of what is occurring. There's got to be an awful lot of distractions. That must be a key factor in all this with so many guests in the house or, you know, whatever's going on, people getting up really early in the morning to start cooking. Yeah. So, again, with Thanksgiving being what it is and as many people wind up uh, cooking uh, throughout the time all day long, I mean, it's all day long. And depending on what you have for your family, there could be uh, folks coming in and out uh, all day in the kitchen. And it can be distracting. So we do recommend, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where we talk about maintaining a kid-free zone uh, about three feet around any of the stove areas where you have things cooking, uh, any hot food, any, any beverages are being prepared that are hot, like, you know, you know, your apple cider or anything like that. Making sure that that's being uh, kept clear. Uh, we joke about it, but you can also say, you know, there's always a football game on, on on Thanksgiving. So if you can send away most of the people to go watch a football game and you can concentrate on cooking, it's probably the best way of doing it. If you do get a fire, let's say it's uh, either, I don't know, in your oven or, you know, if you've got all of a sudden flames on top of your stove that are, you know, up into the air vent up above, uh, what do you do? So with that, if you are or you're having a, a a fire in your stove itself, uh, the best thing to do is to leave the door closed on the stove and shut it off. And you're still going to want to call the fire department and get them out there, call 911, have them take a look, make sure that that fire did not extend anywhere else inside of your walls because the heat transfer could potentially cause fire to spread places where you're not going to see it because it's inside your wall. And same thing with the stove. If you've got something on the stove, if you can safely cover it with like a lid or a cookie sheet, make sure you have a oven mitt on or something that that's going to be heat resistant enough that you'll be able to cover that without catching that specific clothing item on fire. Um, that would be the best thing to do. Uh, having an extinguisher is also something uh, that's good to have. But make sure it's the right type of extinguisher. You know, we, we talk about different things when it comes to fire extinguishers. There's the ABC uh, basically, if you can't remember what those stand for, just remember anything that produces ash is A, anything that boils is B, and anything that has a current is C. So obviously you're going to want a uh, extinguisher that, depending 
on what item is cooking on the stove. If it's a, something that boils, like you got your grease or your oil, you want to make sure your extinguisher type covers that. Same thing with ash, if it's something that just burns regularly. If you accidentally maybe had paper towels or a towel too close to the to the stove top there and it catches fire, you can use an ABC extinguisher for that as well. People are going to be using those turkey fryers outside uh, this year. Um, one of the things to think about when you're using those is to make sure you check the level of how much oil you're going to put in before you actually use the, the, the turkey and put it in. So we recommend that you, you fill it up with some water first to simulate that oil and then go ahead and put your turkey inside of there to make sure that you're not having the cooking device overflow. And then you obviously dump the water out, make sure your, your turkey is thawed completely, and then you add the oil back in and get it warm and get it hot to the right temperature and, and you can fry your turkey that way. Um, but while you're doing that, like everything else, any time of cooking outside, make sure you're staying away from the house. Uh, we do highly recommend staying at least 10 feet away from any structure uh, that could potentially uh, catch fire. Um, and mulch is another thing that you got to make sure stay away from. Have some sort of platform that won't necessarily burn easily and have that extinguisher nearby even when you're outside, when you're uh, cooking uh, outdoors and using the turkey fryer or a um, grill or, or anything along those lines. Talking with Ken Clouda, the Fire Prevention Bureau Chief for the Division of State Fire Marshal. My memory is a little bit fading on this, but wasn't there a few years ago a huge recall on those little red fire extinguishers that people keep under their sink? So there was a, a recall on a specific type of extinguisher, and I know the company, but I don't remember the, the specific extinguisher itself. It was Kida is the name of the company. Uh, you can still go on their website to take a look to see if the extinguisher that you had was part of that recall. Uh, but you do bring up a good point. You're going to want to make sure you're checking those extinguishers and making sure they're still good as well. Uh, and the one way of being able to do that is to actually pick it up and move it from side to side. And if you can hear whatever is inside of there moving around, you know that that chemical that's in there, it's a dry chemical, uh, typically they, that's still good. If you don't hear anything moving around, most likely that chemical settled and it's stuck to the, to the bottom of the extinguisher and you're going to want to get yourself a new one. Um, with that, you're going to also not put the extinguishers where you got to reach over a fire to get to it, right? You're going to put it on your way out of the room because uh, the biggest thing we want to do is make sure everybody gets out if something were to happen. It seems like, you know, every year during the time change, there's the reminder about changing batteries and smoke detectors, but detectors uh, go bad after a few years. I mean, uh, carbon monoxide detectors have time limits on them. And just like with the fire extinguishers, it seems like it would be good for people to kind of audit all that type of equipment in their house and make sure it's all good to go. Absolutely. So we always talk about when we change the uh, clocks, we want to change the batteries in our smoke alarms. Well, at the same time, you're going to take a look at that smoke alarm. You're going to pull it down off the, uh, the ceiling there or on the side of the wall, wherever you've got it. You're going to look on the back of that alarm. And if the manufacture date is 10 years or older, you're going to need to replace that entire alarm. The device that's inside of there is no longer as effective as it should be to be able to detect that smoke that uh, you're looking at that's potential to cause um, a fire, you know, if, if there's smoke happening. So making sure that you take those down and, and take a look at the back of those, 
and you, you make sure you replace those is, is a wonderful thing. Carbon monoxide alarms are a little bit different. Uh, some of them, their lifespan is about five years. Some of them are seven years. So the exact same thing. If you've got the type that just plug right into the wall, uh, take a look at it. You know, every year, just take a look, making sure you you replace that uh, carbon monoxide alarm. I know I did our uh, smoke alarms. Um, we've been in our house for 10 years this year in August, and uh, the smoke alarms themselves wound up needing to be replaced uh, about February of this year. So we, we replaced the smoke alarms. Um, I've replaced the carbon monoxide alarms now already once, and they'll be doing those again soon. Um, but the, the thing to think of when you're, when you're changing out any of those is I, I know in the day and age we live in with smartphones and everything like that, it's so easy to, to forget what we're doing, uh, and we're so busy, but those phones can help us out where you can uh, put yourself a reminder, hey, uh, change, change the uh, smoke alarm, um, you know, replace the alarm. Um, replace the batteries, whatever you want to do on those, and, and set yourself a reminder so you remember to take care of doing that. Those uh, alarms aren't just to make you alert in a situation where you might think it would be obvious that, that a fire in your home is going to alert you anyway. I mean, there's chemicals that can burn that can render you near unconscious or whatever, where an alarm might snap you out of that when nothing would. That's right. So when the smoke alarm sounds or carbon monoxide alarm sounds, the, the best thing to do is to remember to uh, get out of your home, uh, stay out of the home, uh, find a meeting place where your entire family can be located at, and call the fire department when you're out of the house. Don't try to call while you're inside. Don't try to do an investigation on things. Just make sure you get out, you stay out, you have that meeting place, and you get them started uh, coming to take a look and see what's going on at any point in time. Um, you know, the thing that you talk about while it's smoke and, and everything that goes on, that's going to be the, the thing that, that winds up uh, making you uh, uh, unconscious or render you to the point of unfortunately dying. That happens before you wind up uh, seeing the flame. That smoke builds. It's very dark. It's very thick. And that'll be the thing that potentially is going to cause the most harm for you. Um, and then the other part of it, too, is carbon monoxide. You know, if you have any fuel-burning appliances, anything that gives off any kind of fuel whatsoever, anything that burns fuel, um, gives off any flame whatsoever, and you're using that to heat your home, those carbon monoxide alarms are very important to you because it might be something where you've got a leak and you'll not know that you're, you're exposed to carbon monoxide. The carbon monoxide detectors will alert you to that. And, uh, again, same thing, though, get out, stay out. Uh, and call the fire department and say, hey, I think my carbon monoxide alarm's going off. They've got technology there to be able to, to take a look and say that the alarm is either um, going off because your levels are high or potentially because the alarm itself has hit the end of its uh, life or some other malfunction. When carbon monoxide levels go up, I know that you can't smell it, you don't know what's going on, but it can make you feel very ill before it's too late for you to do something about it, right? Exactly. So... Uh, a lot of the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning are very similar to flu, except it happens rapidly. Um, you know, you'll, you'll wind up feeling nauseated. You'll have a, an intense headache. Um, you'll, you'll feel tired. You'll just not feel right. And those are things that are there they're to, to, to look at. But at the same time, because, again, we happen to have more issues with this during the, the heating season, and, and that's also hand-in-hand uh, hand with, what is the, the cold and flu season? People think, oh, I just have the flu. Oh, I just have a, a really bad cold or a sinus infection. Um, and they don't, they don't get that taken care of. 
so that, that's something else to consider when, when you're going through this and, and making sure you've got your alarms functioning. Talking with Ken Clouda, he's the Fire Prevention Bureau Chief for the Division of State Fire Marshal. Ken, is there a website with tips or just general information from the Fire Marshal's office? Absolutely. You can visit with us at uh, com, that's C-O-M dot Ohio dot gov forward slash fire. We have a lot of tips located there. You can visit us on any of our social media as well at Ohio State Fire Marshal on our Facebook account and on Twitter at Ohio Fire. Great. Ken Clouda, again, Fire Prevention Bureau Chief for the Division of State Fire Marshal. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.